to the New Wine Podcast. My name is Jay Matthew Barnes. The goal of New Wine is simply this, to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the real world, especially for those of us who are tired of doing it the same old way. This is podcast number 18, and here's the question we'll try to answer this time. In what or whom should we find our identity and why? On November 15, 2015, Ronda Rousey was set to defend her Ultimate Fighting Championship women's bantamweight title against Holly Holm, who was a very large underdog, which means that very few people expected that Ronda was going to lose. But lose is exactly what Ronda did. Early in the first round, Holly landed a hard punch to Ronda's mouth, and, according to what Ronda said in an interview on The Ellen Show, on February 16, 2016, she lost quite a bit of her spatial awareness as a result of the blow. Rhonda was unable to judge adequately the distance between herself and Holly, which is a very bad thing in a mixed martial arts fight. Rhonda survived the first round, but early in the second, Holly landed a high kick that knocked Rhonda down. The referee called an end to the fight because Rhonda was incapacitated. Rhonda lost. It was her first and only loss. In her interview with Ellen, Rhonda said that after the fight, she was sitting in a corner, completely consumed with her thoughts. Here's what she said, and I quote, I was sitting in the corner, and I was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? I was literally sitting there and like thinking about killing myself in that exact second. I'm like, I'm nothing. I'm like, what do I do anymore? And no one gives a blank about me anymore without this, unquote. This revelation is really striking since Rhonda's father committed suicide when she was young. Rhonda has revealed that her father's suicide was a defining moment for her and her family. Thus, for her to have these thoughts really revealed the level of pain that losing the title caused her. She was devastated to the core. This loss was clearly an attack on her personal identity. You can hear it in her words. She said, What am I if I'm not this? And... I am nothing, and what do I do anymore? Being the undefeated champion was her anchor to reality, and Holly's high kick cut the rope that was tethering that anchor to Rhonda. What pulled Rhonda through this moment? I mean, she clearly made it out. After her loss, she hosted Saturday Night Live, she appeared in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, and she was now sitting down for an interview with Ellen. Here's what Rhonda said happened after she had her suicidal thoughts after losing. And I quote, I looked up and I saw my man, Travis, who was standing there. And I looked up at him and I was like, I need to have his babies. I need to stay alive. Unquote. How sweet. Her relationship to her significant other grounded her in that moment. Seeing Travis, who is Travis Brown, who's a UFC fighter as well, gave her hope. She realized that she had another identity besides her professional one. She was loved by someone and she loved him back. Now, let's all be honest. It's really easy to judge the heck out of Rhonda for this. Think about it. She's a multimillionaire. She's world famous. She's going to go down as one of the best female fighters of all time, etc., etc., etc. It's easy to think, so what if you lost, Rhonda? Look at what you've accomplished. Look at all that you have. And that sentiment is true. But when we all face significant losses, especially losses that erode some of our core identities, 
then we can very well respond in the same sort of ways. I'll tell a story to illustrate this point. The year is 2005. My wife and I are living in Waco, Texas, and we're enjoying our lives there. I had applied to the PhD program in New Testament at Baylor University. I had a friend on the inside who told me that it looked like I had made it in. We were ecstatic. But then, later that same week, I checked the mail, you know, the snail mail. There was a letter from Baylor there. I was sure that it was my acceptance letter. I opened it up and I began to read it. The body of the letter started with, quote, we regret to inform you, unquote. I didn't get in. Apparently the budget had shifted and a smaller class was accepted than was expected. I was devastated. So much so, in fact, that I slumped to the ground and cried. I laid there for a long, long time. In fact, a couple of hours later, when my wife returned from work, I was still lying there on the ground. I was inconsolable. It took a Herculean effort on my wife's part to get me to calm down and begin to face reality. And, in all honesty, this ordeal set me into a bad period of depression. But you could just as easily judge me like I said people could judge Ronda Rousey. I had two great jobs at the time. I was the youth minister of a great little church, and I was a parent liaison at a local middle school. I was married to an amazing woman who only proved herself to be more amazing over the next weeks and months that followed the bad news from Baylor. And I had dozens of friends and family who loved and supported me. This loss shouldn't have been that big of a deal to me. But it was. Which begs the question, why? My answer is the same as Rhonda's. This particular loss was perceived as an attack on my core identity. I was an academic at heart. I wanted to teach. That's who I was. That's what I had been aiming for all the years leading up to that bad news. And all of that was taken away from me in that one moment. But over time, things did get better. My wife and others reminded me of my value and my worth. I reconnected to other passions, and I started preparing to apply for PhD programs beginning in the following year. And here's the truth. That bad news from Baylor is what led my wife and I to Southern California. And that bad news is what led us to the great church family that we have here. And that bad news is what ultimately led me to receiving my commissioning as a missionary to Northwest Pasadena. That bad news was a turning point. And my identity was restored, piece by piece. Now that's where I'd like to camp out for a few minutes. Identity. Rhonda's identity was as a champ. When that was taken away, it was replaced with her being a significant other. My identity was as a PhD student at Baylor. When that was taken away, it was replaced with Jesus calling me to be on mission with him in Southern California. But Rhonda and I are both in danger, and here's why. Our new identities are just as shaky as our old ones. What if Rhonda and Travis Brown break up? What if the worst happens and he dies in a horrible accident? What will she do then? And what if I was wrong about Jesus calling on my life? Or what if I totally fail as an urban missionary? What will I do then? What Rhonda and I need, and to be honest, what we all need, is a more certain identity. 
we need to be able to rest in the assurance that our identities can't be shaken or taken from us. But how do we do this? There really is only one answer, and his name is Jesus. What makes Jesus a good source for our identity? Well, unlike other things we can place our identity in, like relationships, jobs, callings, etc., Jesus never changes. He'll never fail us. He'll always be there. The last part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 highlights this well. Jesus is about to leave his disciples alone. They are scared. Their identities are being shaken. So Jesus tells them something amazing. He gives them a job description and then some security. He says they are to make disciples. That's their job description. And he promises to be with them until the end of time. That's their security. In that moment, Jesus was giving them a new identity, one that is firmly planted in him. Paul talks about this too in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that before we meet Jesus, we see the world through worldly eyes. But once we trust in Jesus, everything changes. There is new creation. We are remade. We're given a new identity in Christ. And not only that, we're given a job description. We're to join with Jesus as he seeks to reconcile all things to himself. Paul is saying that in Jesus, we have a new identity and that it is found in Jesus who will never, ever fail us. So now what? This is all well and good, but what are we supposed to do with all of this information? Well, here are three things that we can do to find or be reminded of our identity in Jesus. Number one, we can get to know Jesus better and better. If we've never officially met Jesus, maybe now is the time to do so. Here's the best way I know. Ask someone you really trust to read the Bible with you once or twice a week. You don't have to read a lot, just half a chapter of the Gospel of Mark at a time. The goal is to meet the Jesus of the Bible there. Not the Jesus of TV or the church. Not the Jesus of our imaginations or our childhoods. And not any other Jesus beside the one that we meet in the Gospel of Mark. Read half a chapter at a time and then ask one another these questions. Number one, what did you like? Number two, what did you not like? Number three, what was confusing? Number four, what did we learn about Jesus in this passage? And number five, what are we going to do with this information? In my experience, this method of meeting Jesus is simple and awesome. It has changed the lives of millions of people around the world, and I've personally seen it change the lives of dozens and dozens of people, including my own life. But some of us have been following Jesus for a very long time, and we feel tempted to put our identity in other things instead of him. What should we do? Well, I say we do the very same thing. Call a friend and begin to read the Gospel of Mark together, half a chapter at a time. Reacquaint yourself with the Jesus of the Bible and begin little by little to trust him with your core identity once more. So here's a second way that we can find or be reminded of our identity in Christ. We can get on mission with Jesus. Whether you don't follow Jesus yet or you've been doing so for decades, 
your identity can begin to be cemented in Jesus as you get on mission with him. What do I mean by that phrase, get on mission with Jesus? It's really pretty straightforward. Jesus came to the earth for one reason, to make all the wrong things right. We earlier saw Paul talking about this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said that God's purpose in the world is to reconcile all things to Christ Jesus. So what's the mission of Jesus? It's to make all the wrong things right. So how do we join him in this? Here's my advice. Call together a few people whom you trust and love. There are no prerequisites. They can have followed Jesus forever or not yet. It doesn't really matter. But here is what matters. Begin to share with one another things that you notice in your communities that aren't right. Maybe you'll notice that there are racial tensions in your city. Maybe you'll notice that single parents are being socially isolated. Maybe you'll see that human trafficking is raging out of control in your neighborhoods. Maybe you'll see a great need for mentors at an underperforming school. It doesn't really matter what it is that you notice. Whatever is wrong, Jesus wants to make it right. And he wants to use you. So begin working together toward what is right. And as you do so, I would suggest that you do number one that we talked about earlier. Get to know the Jesus of the Bible by reading about him in the Gospels. When you pair number one, getting to know Jesus, with number two, being on mission with Jesus, you have the start of something special. The start of a new identity, not only for you, but for your friends who are participating with you, too. So what's another way that we can find our identity or be reminded of our identity in Christ? We can pray. Now, you had to know that this one was coming. Prayer is central to finding our identities in Jesus. Why? Because it's really difficult to find our identity in Jesus. In fact, it's downright impossible. We cannot do it by ourselves. We need one another, and, more importantly, we need the power of God working in and through us, too. And not only that, but as long as we're still humans, we'll always be tempted to place our identity in things other than Jesus. Things like our relationships, our jobs, our hobbies, our material possessions, etc., etc., We must ask God to give us the courage that we need to resist these temptations at all costs. Why? Because if we place our identity in any one of them, no matter how good it might seem in the moment, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. We're all one text, one phone call, one email, one doctor's visit, or one letter away from being like Rhonda after losing to Holly or me after being rejected by Baylor. If we place our identity in anything other than Christ, we're just a moment away from being broken on the floor. So we must pray. And we must pray that God empowers us by His Spirit to continue to find our identity in Christ and not in the things and people of this world. So that's it. If we place our identity in ourselves, our accomplishments, our relationships, our jobs, or anything else, we're at great risk of being disappointed and hurt to our very cores. But if we place our identity in Christ, we can rest assured that he will never let us down. In Christ, we are new creations set apart for his mission to right all the world's wrongs. 
Thanks for exploring the topic of identity with me. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And also, check out my website, jmatthewbarnes.com. That's jaymatthewbarnes.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the creative process that helps bring this podcast to life, then please check out my Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com slash jmatthewbarnes. That's the letter J, Matthew Barnes. There are some really fun rewards for folks who pledge support, although any level of support will be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for your time, grace, and peace.